It's that time of the week again. You are about to participate in a great adventure. It's that time when the latest episode of Digital Kill the Radio Star drops. Drop? What the hell do you think you're doing? It's time to waste another hour or so with David and Chris. Oh my God! As they spout out more of their worthless music knowledge. I wouldn't do that if I were you. It's time to hear them discuss the music of their youth. It's the gift that keeps on giving the whole year. As well as the music of today. Excuse me while I whip this out. So kick back, relax, and have some fun with David and Chris. Who are those guys? Digital Kill the Radio Star starts. Come on, quit stalling! All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Digital Kill the Radio Star. I know it's been a couple of months, but we're going to get back into the groove of it. And we have a, a great guest that Chris booked for us this week. So uh, my buddy Chris is here as always. And Chris is usually the one that introduces everybody. So I'm going to throw it to you, Chris. All right. Appreciate it, David. Good to see you again, my friend. I know. It's been a while. Yeah. All right. So today's guest, you know, I first became aware of, I saw him playing live with a band I actually I grew up listening to. This was, God, this probably dates back at least 10 years ago. And completely unaware. I, I didn't know yet, but I, I thought he was a great player, great stage presence, and brought a lot of energy to the band. Thought just a great addition. And uh, like I said, followed his career. Uh, at some point, I began following his socials and just saw that there was a mutual love of punk and dog rescue. And that's like one of the things that really kind of had me following his career there. And and with the music, I, I will get in this a little bit later, but he also, I don't know if he really knows this, introduced me to what I think is one of the best unknown uh, New York City 70s punk rock albums. I mean, one of the best ever. And he probably knows what I'm talking about. Like I said, we'll get to that. But anyway, after a few more tweets about music, uh, I knew he'd be a great guest on the podcast. So great pleasure to introduce guitarists of LA Guns, Neon Coven, and many others. Ace Von Johnson, welcome. Howdy. <laughs> Thanks for having me, guys. Oh, you're so welcome. All right, Ace, we, have, we ask everybody the same two questions. We have them on the first time. Sure. What is your earliest memory of music and what band or artist kind of hooked you for life going down the, uh, the path of loving music like all of us? Uh, my earliest musical memory was definitely one of two moments. And I'm not sure which came first, the chicken or the egg, but I was probably around four or five years old for both of them. Um, and both incidents were being forced into my mother's car, listening to what she was listening to. But the two things that stand out are hearing uh, Hotel California from the Eagles from uh, the same title record, obviously, and uh, People Are Strange by the Doors. Uh, my mom was sort of a product of the 60s, 
and early 70s. So it's no surprise in Los Angeles, that is. And so it's no surprise that she was playing a lot of that kind of stuff, you know, bouncing me in between whatever daycare and uh, her many, many jobs and whatnot. So I, I vividly remember hearing um, what we now know, or I now know as, you know, minor keys, uh, people are strange, I think is in B minor or E minor and uh, Hotel California is definitely in B minor. And I remember thinking that they were like spooky and gravitating towards that and just finding that tonally attractive or whatever, you know? And so uh, that was it. I, and I remember kind of like, you know, asking her to play the spooky songs again and stuff. And then as far as like the band, uh, that's what you asked, like what was the mm -hmm. band that set me on the path? It, I, I want to I accredit it to Metallica, um, which seems pretty obvious just because they're in every person's lexicon at this point, which is interesting to think about. Um, but, uh, you know, this would have been, oh, I don't know, you know, circa the Black Album, 91, 92, 93. So I was probably 9, 10, 11, and they were just everywhere in my peripheral. And um, I wasn't supposed to watch MTV, but it would be on, or I would be at a friend's house and it would be on. And I think around 11, um, 10 or 11, a neighborhood kid made me a cassette of the Black Album. Just again, you couldn't escape it. And so that would have been probably like, let's just call it 92. And um, yeah, 9, 10, 92, 93. And then that was my thing. And then um, probably around the same time I was discovering um, punk rock as well. And which circled back sort of like in a weird loop because through Metallica, I discovered the Misfits and a couple and GBH and a couple bands like that. And then through the radio, I just, discovered the Ramones and uh in Los Angeles we have a pretty popular station called K-Rock K-R-O-Q <laughs> and uh on Sundays at that point we had a DJ who's pretty famous named uh, Rodney Bingenheimer and Rodney would do this flashback Sunday program or something and you play Dead Kennedys and Black Flag and all this I'm getting goosebumps X and all these great bands that I still listen to to today and uh and then I remember going to my sister, who's 13 years my senior, who at that point was probably in her early 20s, and being like, have you ever heard of this band called the Ramones? And she was like, come with me. And then so that Metallica and all that sort of, and then early 90s grunge and uh, the sort of second wave of punk or whatever you want to, you know, Green Day and Bad Religion getting signed to a major and all those things all at the same time. So I just had this influx of music, but right up the center was Metallica. So were they the band you would say that Metallica had inspired you to play, to pick up the guitar? Uh, I don't really accredit it to any one band, but you could definitely, if I had to pick like five, yeah, I would, I would put them on that list. Um, I think it was just stemming from being an awkward, introverted, you know, eight, nine, 10, 11 year old kid. And my mom, you know, as I mentioned, sort of hippie culture, obviously had the piece of shit uh acoustic guitar somewhere in the house and so i would pick that up you know maybe 10 years old and just pluck on it and make make sounds and i just had this interest in it sort of i guess uh, naturally if you will and uh it coincided with being interested in music and losing interest in toys and what you know baseball cards and star wars and all that kind of stuff that i felt like a lot of my 
friends at that age were still into. And by the, by the time I was 13, I was already like, you know, trying to give myself tattoos and making homemade dead Kennedy shirts. And that was at 12 and 13. So I, I sort of got to that point a little bit earlier than most of the people I knew. Um, and I, which ergo made me an outcast and to this day, and, uh, just the guitar seemed like something to do something to occupy myself with. Uh, and, uh, you know, again, circling back, I think one of the first things I ever attempted to learn was like Enter Sandman and like Hotel California, you know. <laughs> so as you got into music and, and started playing guitar, give us a couple of the people that really influenced you. Obviously, I guess it would be Kirk Hammett and James Hetfield. And yeah, but uh, who else would have played a role in that? Uh, inadvertently, Joe Walsh, um, because the more eagles i heard the more interesting guitar stuff i heard like the first time i heard a talk box or a wah pedal i guess a wah was probably kirk hammett but either or uh joe walsh kirk um james slightly less uh probably just what i was admiring at 12 13 years old uh doyle from the misfits who now you know i consider a friend um uh joey ramon uh, excuse me johnny ramon one of the ramones um <laughs> and then you know as i got to be sort of like an actual and i use this expression loosely but as i became a guitar player uh at, let's just say 15 ish um then it became the people that i was sneaking out to see in like local bands there was a band uh, by, by the time I was 14, we had relocated to San Diego, but there was a band in San Diego uh, called Agent 51, and they were sort of the band that when every when Blink-182 broke and all the record labels were signing bands out of San Diego left and right, you know, Sprung Monkey, Unwritten Law, POD, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Agent was the band that almost kept getting whatever. And the singer, Chris, who, you know, is still, I consider like my big brother to this day, uh, kind of took me under his wing at, at like 15 years old. And I basically became their roadie. And so, um, that more so, you know, it, it opened my world up to playing guitar and seeing it in person and guys in a functional band going to the bass player's mom's house and sitting in the garage on like a trash can while they rehearsed and wrote a song, uh, what became their second record, which then the guys in Green Day signed them to their imprint Adeline. And, and I remember by the point that that happened, I was 16 and I, they made me drive them in their van up to the Bay Area to sign this record deal. So a, a lot of that takes way more precedent than just being a fan or, or, or listening to Kirk Hammett. Um, obviously, it got me to that next point but that was my first real hands-on uh sort of experience i think that and then um a lot of punk guys you know uh communicating this was the you know like what late 90s so you had email and chat rooms but there was no social media and so um i started reaching i, I was naive i started reaching out to people i was a fan of and fortunately some of them uh and i kept in uh some excuse me some of them responded and even still to this day some of them are still my acquaintances or friends but uh i i used to correspond with john christ from the original danzig lineup um who you know now i own a bunch of his equipment and i i guess is i consider him a, a buddy 
and um, also one of my hugest influences as a player. And then uh, like Bobby Steele, one of the original guitar players in the Misfits, same thing. I would just email, you know, like whatever Bobby Steele at AOL or whatever it was. And uh, a lot of that was really uh, important to me as a young man who would eventually become a, a career musician, I guess. Hey, totally off the subject. What's John Christ doing now? John's in Baltimore and, um, you know, he's pretty much retired from public life. Okay. Uh, one of the few times I'll tell you, you know, I don't know how much time you guys want me to prattle on for, but I'll do it if you want. Um, John, like I said, I used to communicate with him and Erie uh, as a big Danzig fan uh, in the 90s. And they were always very kind to me. And, you know, via email, I mean, no big deal. But as a 15, 16 year old kid, it was important or whatever. And, uh, and John and I had a mutual friend who told me about seven or eight, it's so hard to remember now with post COVID, but let's say eight years ago had reached out and said, Hey, John's selling some of his equipment. Uh, I know you're a fan. Are you interested in buying any of it? And I said, I'm interested in buying all of it. <laughs> and so, uh, Bob's your uncle. I went there and blah, blah, blah. And I got on the phone and, you know, the guy brokering the deal, put me on the phone with him and I just played dumb i didn't want to be like oh my god and i'll hey, oh hey man so that's cool and he goes by the way he goes uh my buddy told me you're about to leave on tour that's why you need some of this gear what what's your band called and i said oh faster pussycat and he was like like faster pussycat would tame me down and i said yeah he goes oh man he goes uh, uh i i knew him back in the cat house days in the late 80s when we were out there doing the first record with ruben and blah 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 and uh you know turns out one of the first guitars he bought when they got signed he bought off tracy guns you know, and so he goes, if you're ever in Baltimore, hit me up. And I said, well, sure as shit, we'll be there in a month. So uh, he came to the gig and we got him. I, I politely asked about a week in advance, said, hey, would you want to jam? And I basically told Tammy, I said, you're going to let me do this or I'm going to choke you in your sleep because it was such a big deal to me. And John, John was like, well, you know, maybe I'll think about it. He was like, all right, let's we'll do it. So he came up and we did Mother. And uh the the shit eating grin on my face when he rips into that solo my drummer was singing it and spot on and and it just was awesome so he's he's basically retired he's got a farm out there and he does what he does and i think he still gives lessons and maybe at a at a school but uh you know he's kind of off the grid okay yeah i've always wondered when david i've we met erie a couple times back when we went to uh that rocking pod i didn't go this last yeah. time and uh bought his book from him Bought a Sam Hain t-shirt, so nice guy. Yeah. So now the thing is, too, with your playing, man, you've played in a lot of diverse bands. I mean, like diverse punk bands, too. And, you know, stylistically, when I think of a band like Murphy's Law, um, yeah. and I do love hardcore, too. Same. And playing in a band like that, playing in just a classic, I mean, I, you can't, I can't think of a more stereotypical punk sound than U.S. Bombs. Yeah. Which is just fantastic. Um, more commercial band like Unwritten Law. As somebody who doesn't know a damn thing about getting into these bands and all, how do you end up with these such diverse and really different coasts too? You know, how do you hook up with those? Because you know, it's a little bit different than, let's say, somebody like another guy who's been in a lot of different bands. Kerry yeah. Kelly has been in pretty much a lot of very similar bands. Yeah, you can't say that. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's just interesting how that happened and how they find you. Uh, I think I'm very, very fortunate. And also, uh, from the get go, 
I just have constantly been networking. Um, and as a fan of music um, across the board, I don't really, I don't really um, find myself sort of limited to one genre. And so what I listen to or what I enjoy. And so ergo, I apply that to, um, to my, hang on. Can you sit down? Please sit. It's the dog. She's, she does this thing where if I'm not paying attention to her, she needs to make something a distraction and make it about her. Uh, so, uh, excuse me. I get it. But, I uh, pick mine out. Yeah. I thought about that, but if I did that, then they would just cry. Um, so now I'm forced to live with the distraction, but, um, yeah, I just applied that sort of, uh, approach to, um, my music career and, uh, I just, I've always been friends with, you know, the guy in the death metal band and the guy in the hip hop group and the guy in the pop punk band and the guy in the this, and it just, or, and, or the girl from this band or the whatever. And I just, uh, it just sort of snowballed. I mean, it, there's probably really one project from about four, oh God, 14 years ago now, 15 years ago ish that sort of led me to, was a crossroads, if you will, to a lot of opportunities. Um, uh, speaking of Carrie Kelly and, um, but, uh, and I say that because it was a project, uh, sort of an Americana project called Charlie and the Valentine Killers. Yeah, we've and interviewed Charlie. What's, what's that? We've interviewed Charlie. Oh yeah, so you know Charlie, custom yeah. made Charlie. Yeah, kid. Hung out with him one night. Yeah, he's been yeah, to my so house. Charlie's first band, Big Bang Babies, is where Carrie got his start. And so that project, Charlie was the booking agent for the U.S. bombs, and so he was my agent for a little while. And he was like, "Hey man," and I was twenty four, five, and he goes, "You look like you should be in a rock band. Why are you playing in all these stupid punk bands?" And he brought me into that band, and we went out with super suckers and reverend horton heat and head cat with lemmy and and david allen co and all these other things and guys were coming in and out of that band like jerry montano from danzig brian forsyth from kicks uh chad and danny from faster pussycat etc 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 and that was what uh sort of got me out of just being in a lot of punk bands but i still i mean even to this day um i'm constantly trying to because respectfully i don't want to just be known as the guy from faster pussycat or the guy from one thing i want to be as diverse as my life is and my musical palette is and so i just try to apply that to not to say being an opportunist but when i meet people uh prime example tiffany the singer tiffany i think we're alone now uh we met a few years ago we did an event i'm actually looking at uh, this award thing from it uh rock against ms um a charity event and we met and then the next year she had requested I participate with her in a performance. And then maybe a year later, we ran into each other somewhere else. And she was like, Hey, I'd love to work together someday. And I was like, yeah, I would love that. And then I ended up playing on her record, which has since been repeatedly delayed because of COVID, but presumably will be out in the fall. So again, it's just uh, opportunities arise and you meet people and maybe you're into you're into baseball but this guy's into hockey and he goes hey you want to come to a hockey game or what you know just sure why not you know so um i just try to approach it like that and um there's been stuff people have hit me up for whether it was to play on a record or more most likely uh or whatever uh performing in a band 
and it wasn't for me. And I was like, ah, I don't think this is for me. Or in some instances, there's been opportunities where I just knew I wasn't the guy. And uh, I usually try to, uh, I mean, man, if I had a dollar for every time somebody called me from another project and said, hey, I need a drummer, I need a flautist, I need a backup singer, I need a tambourinist. And I go to my little Rolodex and go, I've got three people ready for, for a gig and off they go. And then I get a phone call six months later. Hey man, I'm in, I'm in Metallica now, you know, I'm making that up. But um, so I, I just like whether it's, if it's for me, great. If it's not for me, I'm always happy to sort of pass the baton to somebody because there's been so many people that have given me that opportunity. Um, most one of which is Todd youth speaking of Murphy's law um and sort of that sort of mentor mentality um because i considered him my mentor when i was a young man um or one of you know one of the people i looked up to like him and carrie kelly specifically a couple other guys were i was like how did you go from this little unheard band or this little punk rock band to you know in todd's case playing in danzig playing in motorhead playing with ace freely playing with glenn campbell and so he really got out there beyond just being the guy from Warzone and murphy's law and agnostic front and so i really tried to follow suit i don't think i knew he played with glenn campbell that's crazy. todd yeah. yeah it was one of the last real things todd did was he uh he got in with a, a producer team i want to say howard benson but i can't remember and they basically just called him for everything and he became their guy it's funny you know we've got when uh so my buddy arranges because he he knows he knows carrie and so we've hung out with him before and like I said, Charlie was rolling through. I'm in Memphis, and uh, Charlie was rolling through here. And uh, he signed. I have a copy of Black Market that he, he signed. Kit Ashley and Charlie Overby. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that That's was pretty funny. hilarious. He's he. I'm glad he kind of let that go because for a long time, say like 10, 15 years ago, if to upset him, we would call him Kit. We'd be like, okay, Kit Ashley. And he'd be like, shut up. Don't call me that. So I'm like, all right, man. <laughs> you know? Well, were you a fan of bands like LA Guns and Faster Pussycat? Uh, or the or the genre as a whole? or The genre as a whole, no. There was a select few. I mean, kind of like, uh, like I said with Metallica, I got clobbered over the head with Guns N' Roses everywhere I went in the early you know, early to mid nineties, you couldn't escape them just like Metallica. And I, I had appetite for destruction in, you know, probably eighth, seventh or eighth grade because it just was a standard that, and like back in black and you know, things that were obvious, but most of this genre slash era, era, not error. Um, some of them are errors, but whatever. <laughs> uh, of the, of that era, I'm going to get in trouble for that one. Uh, most of it I missed, you know, because by the, you know, when I look back and think of the first records I purchased with my own money, aside from like throwbacks, like Ramones and social D and the damned, it was like stone Temple pilots, purple, uh, the first Weezer record green day dookie. It was like that stuff. So, you know, people are like, what do you mean? You didn't grow up listening to rat. And I'm like, when was that 87 to 92? I was like four to nine. No, I didn't. I didn't grow up on that. And it was always in my peripheral because somebody inherently had an older brother with like a quiet riot poster or whatever. And I, interestingly enough, the handful of bands uh, that I was aware of were Pussycat, um, LA Guns, Junkyard, Enough's Enough, 
and then just the big obvious ones, Rat and Quiet Riot and uh, Motley and stuff like that. But beyond maybe those half dozen bands, no. Um, you know, people are like, well, you know, what's your favorite Sleaze Bees album? And I'm like, huh? <laughs> um, and that's where I just go, I'm the punk rock guy, man. I don't know. But um, coming back full circle, yeah, I mean, I love all that stuff. I, and, and another band I omitted was Cinderella. I just I fucking love Cinderella. I actually talked to Eric Brittingham today. But um, I just, I think it was kind of over most of that by the time I got into music. So um, when I think back to being a young man, the the carryovers were the obvious ones like Motley and GNR, but it was pretty minimal because that seemed like stadium rock uh, you know slick everyone's wearing makeup and and spandex and i wanted to hear the dead kennedys and you know angry uh you know i was more interested in hearing what keith morris had to say as opposed to uh, jeff keith you know <laughs> that's a good one uh, <laughs> see david and i we're, we're a few years older and so we were to the tail end growing up as kids with that yeah. and it's funny uh no shit. Uh, Faster Pussycat was my favorite of that genre when I was growing up. And yeah. I find myself the same way with those bands that I listen to. It's, it's, um, oh man, man, I, I guess, I guess you call them not as the, not as poppy, I guess you would say. It, to um, me, it just, it's, it's the bands that had that sleazy punk rock undercurrent, undertone, whatever you want to call it. Um, and it makes sense when you pick them apart. Um, Pussycat, perfect example. Uh, I mean, I honestly believe that if that first Faster Pussycat album, if they all had short hair, it'd have been a punk album. I mean, like City Has No Heart sounds like Sex Pistols. Um, when I was a kid, pre-internet, you guys know, uh, I would hear a song on the radio or whatever and not know who it was. For example, I heard Firewoman and from the cult and Mother from Danzig. And at 11 years old, I thought that was the same band. And so just vocally, musically, sonically, whatever. And I thought that Bathroom Wall was an obscure New York Dolls song. So when I was 19 or 20 and bought the first Pussycat record, sort of on my own fruition, early 20s, I was like, oh, that's who does this song. And I just, you know, like Bathroom Wall, it's totally a punk rock song. Yeah, it's your number on the Bathroom Wall. You know, to me, that's like very... And, you know, I'm pretty sure Tammy backed me up on all this because one of the things he and I bonded over real early on is our love of punk rock. And same thing with Tracy. Tracy, I mean, Tracy's a huge Germs and Misfits fan, you know, and you'd never think it because he's known as this shreddy, amazing virtuoso guitar player. But again, not that I am, but in the same sense, we like a broad spectrum of stuff. And same thing with Phil Lewis. I mean, one of my favorite memories in the four plus years I've been in LA guns is sitting in the back of the bus with LA guns with just uh, uh, on tour with LA guns with just Phil and him regaling me with these stories about UK in 76 and 78 and seeing this, you know, Susie and the Banshees and Slaughter and the Dogs and, you know, all these bands in the late seventies when he was a young man and just all these things. And he goes, Oh, I would never trade my age for missing that. You know, he's, I, he's like, I was there. I saw that, you know, I'm like, Oh, this is amazing. We share a bottle of wine and talk about generation X or Sig Sig Sputnik or whatever else. 
And that to me is the difference between bands like that or Junkyard with like the original guitar player, Brian Baker from Minor yeah. Threat. Yeah. I mean, fuck, it doesn't get any cooler than that, you know, and uh, stuff like that. So again, punk rock undercurrent versus, uh, you know, I don't want to pick on anybody, but there are other bands that don't have that. They didn't have that sort of edge or that street factor or, or the singer wasn't listening to, uh, you know, the Buzzcocks or whatever. They were listening to more glammy or poppy stuff. And that's great too. I mean, you know, I, I, like I said, a wide breadth of whatever genre wise is awesome, but I, I like, I like my eighties rock punky, you know, it is still kind of funny that seeing Brian Baker with long blonde hair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, so um, now as we just get back to what, this, what you've been doing musically, sure. The Uncoven, um, you know, I mean, this is one that I hear, I hear influences in there. You know, I, one thing that really kind of that I think about a lot, of, I don't even know if they're still active anymore. I haven't heard them in years, but Vast. Yeah, I hear Ooh. sounds like like Vast, V-A-S-T. Uh, no, I, I guess I know the name, but I'm not But familiar. yeah, like, I mean, even if it's like Sisters of Mercy, you know, Bauhaus, you can hear those influences in there. Cool. So what, but it's still just the straight up rock as well. So, I mean, tell us a little bit about that band. What are you, what are you guys doing now? Uh, I mean, the honest truth is it's 98% a studio project. It wasn't meant to be like, you know, we're going to go on tour and be this new hot thing and take over, you know, if the opportunity arose, sure. But uh, it, it really was born out of a sort of an inside joke with three out of the four of the core of us, if that makes sense, being on those Monsters of Rock cruises repeatedly and someone, a friend of ours uh, in production, joking that we were like the young guys in all these bands and, and the young guys on the boat and started calling us uh, uh, the boy band. And she was like, you should start, a, you guys need to start a band. You guys are all the, you know, the younger guys and blah, blah, blah. And I think a year of that was funny. And then eventually we went and met up for dinner and we're like, you know what? We all really get along well and we all... Uh, are sort of known for being in, um, in, in, you know, obviously at the time I was just doing Pussycat and then Jacob Bunton, the uh, sort of everything man in the band. Um, he's, he's known as the singer, but he's not the singer in Neon Coven. Um, our singer is a guy named Anthony Montremano, but Jacob is a music savant. I mean, he, he plays everything, violin, piano, drums, guitar, and but he was he's known or was known for the singer for the project Adler, not Adler's Appetite, but Adler. Uh, they did that record that had Slash on it and John Five and all these great guests. But his day job is he's a pretty well sought after producer, engineer, and also ghostwriter. He's written for a ton of people. And so he basically was like, look, let's do some stuff. Uh, and we all basically pooled our mutual interests outside of our known we basically said we don't want it, it, if the guy from Adler and the guy from Faster Pussycat and, and Anthony, who was doing some tribute bands come together, people are going to expect it to sound like a Sunset Strip band. We said, we don't want to do that. I said, I said, I want to sound like typo negative. And Jacob was like, I want to sound like Depeche Mode. And Anthony was like, I want to sound like Nine Inch Nails. So we threw all that in a pot and added some of our guitar nonsense and rock and called all these influences outside of just sort of the obvious if you will and that's what we ended up with and we did an ep and it managed to just sort of barely crack i think it cracked 
the, I don't know how that shit works. It cracked the charts or something like that. And Jacob, because of his day job, you know, he works with a record label. And so they hyped it up and did all this stuff. And it got a, we had a song called Bleeding Love that got a bunch of terrestrial radio play. And people were like, we want to book the band. And we're like, uh, we're not even really a band. <laughs> and we played out a handful of times, but we did another EP, same thing. And then leading up to the pandemic, we were like, okay, let's do a full length. And we started that. And then the pandemic happened and we were all at the time in Hollywood. And so we would get together at Jacob's home studio and crank these songs out. And that's the album title is future postponed, which is obviously reference to what was going on there at that time in 2020. We were just like, you know, is our music, is all of our collective music career over? And so uh, we don't know. And, uh, and I'm really, really proud of that record. And, and interestingly enough, I, I would say that record and LA Guns Checkered Past are probably the two records, you know, having played on over, I don't know, 30 albums in my life. Those are probably the two I'm most proud of cover to cover. So, so that's kind of the long version of, of that, you know, it's, it's a studio project. We play periodically. They just played a show without me maybe a couple months ago. Uh, and I just basically was like, I'm not able to fly to LA to play a 30 minute show for free. I just you, have fun guys. Let me know how it goes, you know, and they banged out seven or eight songs and, and, you know, it's already, a lot of the stuff's already sort of on track, if you will. So they just, I think just put some of my stuff on tape, if you will. And off they went. Did you ever hear Dreamcore, the Dreamcore record? Davey Havoc. So. Oh, Maybe. is that the who? Who is that? Yeah, again? it's got Davey Havoc and uh, the rest of No No Doubt minus Gwen. Yeah, I, vague. I, I'm sure I've heard it. I've just. Yeah, I was gonna say that, there, there's some similarities there too. I mean, yeah, yeah, it's a cool yeah. record though. Well, you I mentioned don't... you mentioned L.A. You yeah. you like everybody else has moved from L.A. to Nashville. Um, yeah. You know, you can't. Um, swing a golf club without hitting a great musician in, uh, in Nashville. Have you, uh, have you gotten involved doing a lot of session work there? No. Um, I, I didn't move here for anything career related. Um, it was mostly just sort of the, uh, over time I found myself coming here on for work and, uh, through, you know, on tour coming through town. And every time I would come here, I'd see, you know, one or three other people at the show, I'd be like, what are you doing here? And like, oh, I live here now. And so every time I'd come back, I felt like I had more friends here than I did in my hometown. And, or at least people that I didn't think poorly of. And, um, and then with the pandemic and so many other things going on, I just was thinking, there's no reason for me to stay in LA pay an arm and a leg to stay in some cramped little, you know, I was living in a one bedroom apartment in, in Hollywood. I mean, it sounds, and I was technically in the Hollywood Hills. It sounds way nicer than it really was. And it was a fortune. And then with the pandemic, I was like, I don't want to, it, it was great when I was there for three months at a time in between tours for seven or eight years, but then looking at, you know, I was like, I don't know when I'm going to tour again. And as it would be, it'd be another two fucking years. And so, uh, I kind of hedged my bets and started looking for places and I found the house I'm in now and I jumped ship and I'm my, you know, fiscally speaking, I did myself a giant favor. And so it wasn't to get session work or to try to take over the town. There's too many, there's too much blatant talent here for, uh, you know, like a hack punk rock guy like myself to try to like show up and swing my D around and act, you know, like I'm King 
shit on guitar when I'm not. I just was really trying to get somewhere where I could have more for my money and live comfortable. You know, if I was going to be stuck at home for another two years, I wanted it to, you know, like I'm in my office upstairs in my house, <laughs> you know, it's like, what a concept. So, um, you know, and I think there's, uh, so many people that come to LA and can't make it and then bail. And I think there's a misconception about that. And which is a, quite a common thing, but in my instance, I'm from there. I made it, I did, I made a career out of it and I chose to jump ship and I bailed and I couldn't, my only people go, you have any regrets? Do you miss LA? I go, I don't miss LA at all. And I miss my immediate family. And I said, my only regret is it didn't fucking do it sooner, you know? So that's kind of the whole thing. I love it here. I, I, I hope to pick up some more session stuff and I've done some, but ultimately I don't think any of it has stemmed from the fact that I'm in Nashville. I just, I'm working more because I have an office with a home studio now, which I didn't have in Hollywood. I didn't have the space. So that's, you know, I mean, this desk I'm sitting at right now is where I did most of the last LA guns record and most of the new LA guns record. That's not even out yet. So, um, you know, like I said, no, no, regret, no regrets. And, uh, I love it here. I love Tennessee. I love the South. I love Southern hospitality. And, uh, I, lo I love the food y'all got, you know? <laughs> well, Chris and I are both big uh, believers in adopting animals. I'm uh, me and my wife, we adopted a couple of cats and yeah. Chris has had cats and dogs. And that's obviously something, obviously something you're very passionate about and you have a charity devoted to that. Tell us how that got started. Well, I don't know. I don't have a charity devoted to anything. I wish I did. Um, I have as many, means to generate income for other other uh, 5013c yeah, yeah that's what i meant yeah um and for instance if you buy like a mila pit pals coffee mug um or whatever we just got these actually just came in today I have like these rufus guitar picks to go with the mila ones um certain things that i have that are for sale um the for example, if you buy something through my Teespring outlet, a percentage of that goes to Angel City Pits in Southern California, actually LA. And um, I'm constantly trying to come up with ways to do things for, uh, whether it's a rescue here in town, uh, I was working with a group called Pity in Pink here, um, or uh, one of my favorite organizations is Stand Up for Pits, run by uh, comedian and writer Rebecca Corey, who I just think the world of. Um, or um, pinups for pit bulls um, out of, I think they're out of Philly, but she might've relocated to the South somewhere, but there's just so many groups or city dogs in Ohio, which isn't just pit bull exclusive. Um, and so I'm just constantly trying to either raise awareness or raise funds or do anything. Uh, 10 days ago, I've got flown to Baltimore to sort of co-host an event uh, called uh, Project Runway. Uh, put on by Show Your Soft Side and Petco Love. And so they had, it was predominantly athletes, which is a foreign thing for me. I don't really do sports, but a ton of these professional athletes and myself and maybe two or three other musicians and a couple sort of uh, social media celebrities or whatever you want to call it, influencers. And we walked a runway in front of a couple thousand people with a designated pet or two and, you know, to raise funds and awareness. And I think she said the success rate was somewhere between 95 and hundred percent annually. So I assume pretty much all those pets got adopted cats, dogs of all shapes and sizes. So just anything like that, uh, both of mine are rescues, both of mine. Uh, 
I was going to say came from a kill shelter. Myla came from a kill shelter. Rufus uh, did not. Rufus was a stray that got picked up by Pity and Pink here in Tennessee um, and was in his possession for not 48 hours before uh, he went from them to uh, a veterinary care and from there straight into my possession. So he never really had any thing like that, but he came in at like 27 pounds and now he's 55. So that should tell you how underweight he was. Um, but just, you know, and if I could have 10 more, I really would, but just anything I can do within my means, obviously I'm not wealthy. I'm not a millionaire. I'm not Nikki six. I'm not, you know, a professional athlete pulling in seven or eight figures a year. Um, I wish I was, but, uh, and I wish I had a rescue or organization formally to do more, but that's kind of it, man. I just sort of, um, try to be as big of an advocate as possible. I do most of my work on Twitter. I do have an Instagram page exclusively for, uh, animal rescue reposting and networking, but I've been sort of, uh, 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 not paying that enough attention lately, um, just because I've just been so busy uh, as we get ready to prep for tour. But yeah, to answer your question, again, I'm long-winded here. It's, it's partly all the coffee I'm drinking, but yeah. Well, that's awesome what you do. I mean, like I said, I've, I've got, I've got two. They came, they came from a kill shelter. Um, one's a pit mix. One's you talk about Mount Durish, man. One's a husky that's uh he's a big, big husky because he's nearly, he's nearly 90 pounds. When I got him, he weighed 37 wow. pounds. He was how much? 37. Wow. Oh yeah. You saw ribs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's and insane. Now he's, I mean, David see him. He's beautiful, but he's just, yeah, he, man, he's all in the pit was mange. Um, plus he's black, you know, that's harder to get adopted. It's a, uh, it's like a death sentence. He didn't have a chance. He didn't, yeah. I actually went there and I got a dog and I didn't intend to get the pit because one of mine had died. And so I already had one at home one dog i went and i got the husky and then i felt bad i couldn't get this little pit mix out of my head so i went back two days later and got him so yeah i understand i want more i was the idiot that had three in my house for a while thank you sam and so almost got that. one last week <laughs> when <laughs> they were trying to find a home for it and i was like all right all right maybe i should maybe i should and i was i did call the shelters like if you don't get them adopted i'll take him so i got i've got one more question for you before chris bends your ear about some punk music yeah um you were on Patreon. Yeah. And uh, I, I have a uh, Black Crows podcast and we have a Patreon. And it's uh it's been pretty lucrative. And at the same time, um, you build a pretty cool sense of community. And several yeah. of the people that are on our Patreon are on yours. And they've talked oh. about they've talked about how good it is and, and how much <laughs> value that you get from it. Are are you enjoying doing that? Oh man. Well, first of all, that makes me really happy to hear. I'm so glad a, that you have one that's lucrative for you and B that we have some mutual uh, subscribers. Yeah. I, gosh, uh, I, I don't know where I would be without my Patreon right now. Um, I really don't. And, and I'll start there. Um, it's a really wonderful platform. Um, I have, uh, steadily kept somewhere between 70 and let's say upper 70s, 75, 78 uh, patrons every month for the last two and a half years. And I don't think I've dipped under 70 since maybe December of 19. And that was only several months after I launched, you know, and people come and people go. Um, but it has just been a really wonderful outlet. It's kept me, it's, it's constantly giving me something to do and to sort of think outside the box. Um, 
I sort of, if I didn't, not to sound condescending, but if I had a dollar for every time somebody was like, you should host a podcast. I, 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 you know, begrudgingly, I just, I don't want to. And so I decided I would do one exclusively for Patreon. And so I've been doing one a month for the last three months and it's, it's been interesting um, and fun, but mostly because I'm only exclusively, if you will, doing people that I have a personal relationship with whether my first guest was an actor named Derek Mears, uh, look him up, character actor. He was a predator. He's Swamp Thing in the remake of the show. He was uh, in three of the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. And he's also happens to be one of my closest friends in the world. And um, so I wanted it to keep it one degree. But um, yeah, it's just really great. It's constantly, I have to think of stuff to do because when I launched at the end of 19, I was like, oh, come, you know, come on tour with me, everybody, you know, backstage, you know, like here we are in Greensboro, North Carolina, check out this dressing room, you know, or setting up at soundcheck or, or recording in the studio or whatever. And then all that went away, you know, and so I had to sort of figure out how to make lemonade out of an unending supply of shit covered lemons. <laughs> And so, uh, you know, I just kept going and people kept subscribing and, and the feedback has been constantly positive. And I'm so grateful because it's allowed me to keep a roof over my head and take care of my dogs. And every month um, I take a certain percentage and I do something charitable with it, whether, in, you know, from no, what was it, October, November to the beginning of January, I did all Toys for Tots, uh, predominantly do animal rescue the rest of the year. And um just whatever. I try to do something like the podcast, for example, each guest I have on, I have them pick a charity and then I donate a hundred dollars to that, to the charity of their choice. And, uh, you know, so I trying to not self-deprecate right now. Cause I was to say, cause I'm an asshole, mm-hmm. um, which is just how my mind is programmed. But, uh, yeah, it just, it's been so wonderful. And, uh, I've created things like, you know, influential albums i'll go and i'll pull a record off the shelf that was important to me as a young man and i'll talk about it for 10 or as you guys have learned i can rant for a minute you know 10 or 15 or 20 minutes you know whether it was you know learning to play a song or i'm in a band with the drummer now or whatever and uh uh aces artifacts where because i have so much stuff i'll go through and i'll pull out you know like this is a severed head of a you know, monkey from the 1800s that was given to me, you know, or whatever. And uh, it's been awesome. And like I said, it's kept me alive, kept a roof over our heads. And it's a really great platform, as you know. So if anyone's watching or listening, that's a Patreon subscriber. Thank you for being there. Yeah, it's, uh, it's been, it's been fun. We started in January and we have about 50 people and we haven't lost one yet. That's awesome. Uh, which is uh, which is really cool, and we do a lot of cool give vinyl giveaways, and we're about to start giving away tickets and stuff like that. So, yeah, That's go right. to patreon.com. Is it just under your name? Yeah, it's uh, patreon.com slash Johnson. Okay, cool. All right. Well, this is where we'll probably lose David for a minute. You know, um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm going to try to keep this in a non-boring way. If I, I'm going to go to, I, I thought about this. How are we going to talk about just a few bands? And I'm going to break it down by what I think of different, uh, different waves, different, um, regions of punk. Before yeah. I do, I was going to ask you how you really, it seems like I, I get the misfits love. Um, and you know, you already told about how you got into them. Yeah. We'll say this though. What I was one or one I was going to ask you is 
So this passion you have of everything Danzig sounds like. Yeah. Rank them. Misfit, Samhain, Danzig. Uh, do you say rate them? Yeah, rank. rank. Oh, rank them. Um, if we're talking, Samhain is my number one. Okay. Um, because uh, A, it's the untapped source. Uh, B, it was the band as a young man growing up. Everybody, all my metal friends love Danzig. All my punk friends love the Misfits. Their stuff was everywhere. Uh, I managed to get a copy of everything uh, in uh, freshman year in high school. Uh, I was able to get, and this is pre all the albums being reissued, pre-internet with as we know it now, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And by the time I was, what is that, 14, 15 years old, I had everything Sam Hain had put out, which I obviously still have, either on cassette, I'm looking at it right now, either on cassette, you know, this is, hang on, the cassette has since disintegrated, but I have the cover signed by, by Glenn uh on cassette cd or vinyl and it was my band because nobody else in my social circle but you know until i was probably in my early 20s knew about them or at least had more than an album or whatever so i was constantly burning you know making cassettes and then later on burning cds um so it has a real special unique place in in my heart because it was this just like that tough darts album you know or a couple other albums or bands where nobody, you know, I'm going to be 40 at the end of this year. And I still can count on like one hand or two hands, how many people know those projects or bands or artists. So it's always, you, I like, I, I not, it's not about gatekeeping, but cause I'm always happy to share or turn people onto that, which is the antithesis of that. But I always love the fact that nobody had heard of them or had, it was so obscure and pre-internet, pre-social media, pre-Spotify. It was like, you know, you talk to somebody about morning noise or Rocky Erickson or tough darts, or uh, I'm trying to think real deep cut stuff, you know, uh, uh, screaming Lord such or stuff like that, where people are like, I don't even know what that is. You know, you couldn't just go to the record store and buy it. And uh, so Sam Hain, I'm ranting again, sorry, Sam Hain. Uh, and then I, it, it depends on my mood, uh, my mood right now. And, the, and then it all would flip for the other two. Um, because both of them respectfully have had some watering down um, through the years. Um, but I would say uh, Sam Hain, number one, Misfits, number two, Danzig, number three. Okay. Yeah, I was lucky enough to go. Um, I did finally get to see the original Misfits. I, I, we, I, flew, uh, I flew to Philly in Solon. And, yeah. uh, oh, I was at that show. Yeah, that was, that was, that was amazing. You know, I kept looking like then – all the shows were selling out. It's like, you know, I think I got a shot at Philly. And I thought that was going to be the last one contractually. Yeah. And I think they ended up in, wait, no, they did the, uh, I think it was New York. And then they announced that. They said that one was coming out. I was like, all right, I'm going to this one. I was at, I was yeah, at I both of those. I, uh, I went to, I, I sort of, and I, I try not to name drop, but sometimes it's hard to tell stories without, without name dropping. But uh, I went to, and I, where I'm going with this is I mentioned Doyle. I went to the show that they did in LA at the, uh, I can't remember, the arena or whatever the fuck it was. And it was their first show in LA. And I bought the most expensive ticket I've ever spent in my life. It was like $417 or something for a pit ticket uh, at the uh, forum. Was that the forum? Anyway, some arena in LA. 
and I got as there early and I was as close to the stage as you could fathom. Um, now, as the show started and people started filling in and pits, different pits are starting and people are crowd surfing, I started getting further and further back and back. But for the first 10 songs or so, I was maybe five people deep from the stage. Um, and when the show was over, uh, I sent Doyle a text and I said, I know you're busy. Great show. So happy I got to see it. You know, awesome. And then he hit me back, you know, typical tour stuff like a week later. And he was like, bro, uh, don't ever buy a ticket again. I got you. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And sure as shit, he, uh, I, someone had given me a ticket. No, no, no. Excuse me. Uh, I, I hit him up and I said, um, I'm going to come to, uh, to the, uh, Madison square garden show. And he goes, let me, let me know if you need tickets. And I said, no. And I was like, no, 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 it's a New York show. I don't want to be it's home. It's hometown. That's like the worst. It's like taboo to do that. And so I said, I'll buy a ticket. And then a girlfriend of mine offered to buy me a ticket. And instead I ended up, I think I ended up with three because I think through her, I bought one and then Doyle got me one. And then uh, Keith Anzalone, Anzalone, Glenn's nephew got me one. And so I ended up where I was like half the show, I sat here, half the show, I sat here, half the show was on the side. And it was just, it, and it was Madison Square Garden with the Damned and Rancid, three of my all-time favorite bands, Goosebumps. So probably my favorite show of all, all time. And then I got sort of, you know, diva rock star status and I got dragged back after the show um, just being friends with AC and knowing Dougie, their tour manager and knowing Doyle. And I can't remember the whole, and knowing Keith, that's how it was. And so I, Glenn's nephew. And so uh, again, name droppy, but this is a story. And I ended up in Glenn's dressing room after that show. And, you know, his whole family was there. And I think his, I think his mother had just passed away or something like that. So there was this really, uh, heavy into like this really heavy presence just with, you know, being a lifelong Danzig fan and seeing him sort of break out of his shell of what we think of Glenn, watching him talk to his sister and watching him talk to his, you know, these, you know, kids and family members. And it was really like touching and it was really, uh, as a fan, but again, also being in the industry, like I understand um, how that's, you know, you're in, you're basically in someone's living room and it was one of the coolest experiences I've ever experienced just as a fan. And, but I was supposed to be there. Like, you know, I was like yucking it up with this guy from the band and this guy from the crew and Glenn's new security guard is going to, uh, I don't want to start naming names, but his security guard is a guy from for 10 years. And so he's like, yeah, come on this fine. Just come on back. Here's a, you know, I still have a laminate and I keep meaning to do a, a shadow box because I've got all this one of a kind stuff from the show like you know the dressing room sign from Glenn's room I was like I'm gonna keep that you know after the after everyone left I was I you know I'm a, like I said at the beginning I'm a fan so be a, beyond being whatever people know me from I'm a fan of stuff and so I was like I'm gonna take that and so uh you know it's just a piece of paper but it was really magical, really cool moment. And then the next, I can't remember which one was first. doesn't matter, but, uh, Doyle, uh, Billy was the second one. 
Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Doyle got me and I brought uh, Ricky Rackman uh, with me to Philly uh, and Doyle got us because it wasn't New York uh, super set up. And we went same thing. We were like in the, in dressing rooms and hanging out and, you know, you, you know, Doyle's like, take a water bottle. And I'm like, Oh, I'm having a misfits water. That's cool. So uh, anyways, I, I don't know where I'm going with this, but it was, it was as a fan, it doesn't get any cooler than that. I'm glad I saw those three shows. There might've been a fourth. Um, I'm probably going to end up at riot fest later this year. And, I saw that uh, announcement. I saw that announcement today. That line yeah. Was, yeah. It's, badass. I, it's a great lineup. We um, went there. We went there the year uh, Sam Payne played buddy and I did. Yeah. Riot fest. Great festival. Oh yeah. I, I love riot fest. It's, it's awesome. And, and uh, I'm ranting. So, hey, I, but I, I do have, I do have a question though. I mean, seriously, sure. like with um with Doyle, yeah, he always seems like the most that the funniest guy. Uh, we've had we've had uh, Joey Z on here before. Yeah. Joey Z laughs about him. You know, just I, I watch those. Um, hey Doyle, you know the one I'm talking about. Hey Doyle, uh-huh. he seems like the most lighthearted guy. But then <laughs> I've heard him on a couple of podcasts that. Is that is he trying to do that like just to be funny? And all have you heard him on a podcast? I, yes, I, I do because I, I find it hilarious. I know some people get bothered by it, but I mean, I just don't think I, I can't speak for the guy, you know. And and I although I consider him a friend or a buddy, I mean, we're not. It's not like I've toured with him or anything like that. We're not that close. But uh, I just don't think he just is interested in the you know what is sort of obligatory or expected of people, you know, podcasts and interviews mm-hmm. and things like that. I just don't think he's into it, you know, but in private, I mean, he's one of the sweetest humans I've ever met, you know, and also a big advocate for rescue. Uh, and, and he does a lot of stuff just cause he's super, he's uh, very into veganism. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like I have a tub of his protein powder, that's all vegan downstairs and, and stuff like that. And so I really, beyond the fact that i'm a fan of the fucking band and i mean i just really admire his his due diligence in that arena and just the fact that he because he looks so menacing and scary but then you get to know him in in my instance and he's just a really kind and funny guy you know as far as podcasts and stuff like that i don't know no i just like i said i I think it's funny but anyway um before we move from this fits what did you think about those uh those graves records uh, it, you know, when they came out, I was super excited. I bought them both brand new. Uh, I even I had in the car the other day, I even have an American psycho promo copy CD. Uh, that's how on the ball I was for that record. But, um, to me, the misfits is Glenn Danzig's voice and songwriting. And those two records had neither. So, uh, in name alone, it's to me, it's arguable that it's the misfits or not. And I get why and now we have back if you will the the holy trinity or whatever the unholy three uh so it is what it is but looking back uh they served a purpose they were great god i mean the geffen records put out that first misfit uh american psycho so that alone on a major label um speaks volumes but uh i think you know what we know a bit about michael graves as maybe an individual now uh definitely not a fan of him as a person but i love and i say that only because i know people that have worked with him and and i know some 
things that just make me not care for him. But uh, I digress. Uh, I love those two records. If they were called something else, they might be one of my all-time favorite bands. But by comparison to to come to walk among us, Static Age, Earth AD, etc., I'm 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 leaning more that direction. I do I do love those two records too. That's all I was asking. I even thought that record he did that he did with uh, Chud, uh, the Graves record, just called Graves. Oh yeah, yeah, that. that record's actually really good. Really good. Yeah, and, yeah. And then is, that I heard the, some... is that the Web of Dharma one, or is that something yes, else? Yes, that's it. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. a really solid record. Yeah, it's and... really good. And then and I've got I've got like I've got bootlegs of uh, Mike Hideous, and even that man was. It's, I mean, it's not the greatest, but it's still cool sound. And I mean, it's definitely sticking more with the grave sound. Yeah. Yeah. I liked what Mike did. I saw some videos of, with Mike as well. It's so strange. All the, all of a sudden, I feel like I've been talking about uh, with the obvious factor of Howie Pyro passing, but I feel like every person I've talked to or a, the vast majority of people I've talked to in the last month, I'm talking to about something Glenn Danzig related at least one degree and uh uh somebody else just brought up mike hideous uh it might have been danny from electric frankenstein uh and or are you familiar with jeff from and his podcast about the misfits no, you want to do no. yourself a favor and subscribe to his what's it what's it what is it it's his name is jeff and his last name is from f-r-u-m-e-double-s and he's got a show called pizza punk on youtube but he's also got one called they came from lodi and they okay. sort of cross pollinate and i've been a guest on his pizza punk show but uh he also has a patreon and he's also now a friend of mine so i i i i'm you know he's doing what you guys are doing but for uh tsol and fear and the misfits okay. and so i'm a fan and he, he and i were talking about that and then i keep talking about son of sam and todd youth and then without prompting uh, my buddy who I've known for 20 years, Sky, uh, who sang on the second Son of Sam record, who I haven't talked to in probably four years, called me on Sunday. And he was like, hey, man, how are you? I was like, what the fuck is going on right now? Why is this all of a sudden in my constantly in my peripheral? I'm not mad because obviously I'm a big fan of all of that. But it's just I'm finding it very interesting hearing Mike, Mike uh, Hideous and Mike Graves and uh, talking about Misfits and Sam Hayden Danzig a lot. So I'm not mad at it. <laughs> well we'll go just a, we'll we'll move this along um sure when i go like like i said i was gonna go to different eras and i'm gonna go with the just starting with new york city yeah. and let's call it the um oh god i'm trying to think of it uh please kill me you know please kill me era yeah, uh, book. yeah fantastic yeah. book but uh you know just when i read when i list out some of the bands like what are some of your thoughts on some of these uh Velvet Underground, The Dolls, Thunders, which I think that So Alive is one of the greatest records of that era, myself. Television, that again, Marky Moon, Richard yeah. Hale, Ramon, Dead Boys, uh, Tough Darts, of course. Like I said, I, I would I don't think I would have ever known that record had you not talked about that. And Is that not one of the greatest albums to come out is. of that era? It is. And the lyricism. Oh, yeah. And, and, and I'll be, and not to go on a Tough Darts tirade, um, I know you guys are like, yeah, we'll do like 30 or 40 minutes. And now you'll end up with two hours of me bullshitting. Um, that Tough Darts record is for anybody that's watching or listening. Uh, I swear by that record. I have been passing that record on to people for 20 years now. Uh, and I don't want to go too off on the rails. But when I was in my late teens, I worked at a record store and it was also a record label. 
and it was exclusive. It was called Tang, Tang Records. And so we were putting out reissues from bands like The Addicts and Exploited, Stiff Little Fingers, Mighty Mighty Boston, stuff like that. So even though it was already entrenched in that genre of music, there was constantly more for me to learn. We'd get a box of imports where we get stuff from distributors. And one of the things that I got turned on to was that Tough Darts album because it had finally been issued on CD. And so I was 18 or 19 and I was like, I'll oh, check. This looks cool. And uh, ah, light bulbs came on. And so it's 20 years later, I'm still hyping that record up. And that album might be the best sounding late 70s New York punk album production wise, period. I, I would put that up against any of the Ramones records uh, sonically. I'm not talking about beat, you know, name or brand or band members or whatever, but sonically, it's such a well produced album. And like you said, the lyrics and the, the songwriting great. But uh, what do I think of New York? I mean, my one of my earliest influences was Johnny. I'm still a Johnny Thunder's disciple. Uh, you know, I still tag LAMF on shit and not to steal his thunder, pardon the pun, but because it I used to joke, people be like, oh, where are you from? And I said, well, I'm from L.A., motherfucker. Where are you from? So it was L.A. Motherfucker. Mm -hmm. That was my L.A.M.F. And that was the sort of play on his L.A.M.F. And that record still, uh, the, the debut and well, only Heartbreakers record with Johnny, uh, L.A.M.F. Is, is in my maybe top 20 albums of all time. Uh, I got to back up Sylvain from The Dolls here in Nashville. We did a maybe a 20-minute set one night. Uh, and I actually unbeknownst to anybody uh, put a band together for him for a West coast run that uh, never ended up coming to fruition. Uh, we just weren't able to get the clubs to give us uh, what he wanted guarantee wise. But one of my hopes in moving to Nashville, because he had lived here for the last, however long was to work with Sylvain again, uh, which he's no longer with us. So obviously that's not going to happen. But uh, as far as the New York stuff, um, I'm a huge fan, but again, you know, talking about eras and locations to me, it's like different genres. You get like SoCal punk, the, you know, tri-state area, whatever, Northeast punk. And then you get, you know, the UK or Europe or whatever, you know, cause you can't compare the clash to the dead boys to black flag. You know, they're all punk rock bands, but they're all mm -hmm. very unique and very different. Yeah. I just love that New York sound. Like I said, the, the television record, the marquee moon, yeah. Uh, the second one was really good too. Uh, I didn't really like the third one, but the second one was really good. I can't think of the name of it, but that, uh, and like I said, the uh, I love the Dolls records and yeah, same. And what about Velvet Underground? Are they? You think they're the first punk band? No, I, I no, I I, I think they're, they're Stooges. Yeah, Stooges for me, but it's it's hard for me to really draw a definitive line in the sand because I just call it proto punk, um, and that to me even goes as far back as the late sixties. Because, I mean, the Sonics or, uh, gosh, there are so many bands. Um, you get the, these, these garage bands, you know, those, all those bands on those Nuggets compilations, mm -hmm. um, post-British Invasion, late 60s. And those bands and, like, the Stooges and MC5, um, you know, let's say 69 or 72, uh, to me is just as loud and boisterous as, you know, uh, the dead boys in 78. So it, it, it's all the same to me. Uh, it just, at some point, somebody drew a line in the sand and said, Oh, well now we're punk rock, you know, um, 
but uh i don't know who the first punk band was and i kind of don't really care just because i i'm not like so genre specific Mm -hmm. but i'm sure if i had to pin it on one band i would flip-flop between uh the stooges the dolls and the ramones it just blows my mind that uh that the stooges you put on funhouse yeah and it's 1970 yeah I mean, it just doesn't sound like it. I mean, in some ways, it sounds like it could come out today. It, it totally could. And, but that's because you have bands in the last 10, 15, 20 years, two years, uh, without naming names, that are emulating those records still, which is a good thing, you know. But I think it's interesting that, like you said, Funhouse, what was that, 70? Yeah, 70. So, yeah, okay. Uh, I, I mean, there was no such thing as punk rock in 1970 or 72 or 74. You know, didn't what was didn't even exist yet. So... Um, you know, and it came out of all these different things. You know, we had the proto-punk garage rock bands here in the States. Uh, you had pub, P-U-B, pub rock bands in the UK, like Joe Strummer's band, the uh, 101ers, and uh, uh, guys like uh, Chris Spedding over there that were doing stuff that you look back now and go, oh, that's punk rock. But in 1974, that wasn't a thing yet, you know, so... Uh, David Bowie. I mean, some of Bowie's stuff you could say is proto, not proto punk, but like, uh, you know, uh, punk, punk influ- uh, influenced punk rock heavily is what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. So uh, I don't know where to draw the line. And, and like I said, I, I you know, it, I, I'm not, I don't care. It's like, is it, is, is it good? Great. I'll take it. You know, I don't care what the genre is. Yeah, and you know, then moving over, I'll shift over to the UK. And another great book, just I thought on UK, was actually Billy Idol's book. Oh God, yeah. Did you read that one? No, but it's on. It's in. I think it's in my Amazon, uh, like, to buy list or whatever. No, he wrote that book all himself. He didn't have anybody that any ghostwriter or whatever. It was just him. He did yeah. all of it, and he talks about you know all the uh, the image, you know the 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 clothespins, all that stuff, which of course everybody says came from Richard Hell. And yeah. it's just fascinating about that. And the going to them and the, the sex pistols coming out all at the same time, the clash. Uh, that's a really good read. Yeah. I would love to actually, uh, I might actually pull the trigger on that, read that this summer. Yeah, That's a good one. I was able to see, we I flew out to, uh, I guess this was, when was this? Back last fall, flew out to uh, Vegas and saw one of the res- residency shows, Billy Idol. How was and, it? Uh, it was great. I've been going to see Billy since I was a teenager, and I am a, I am a fan. I got to see him. I popped in for a couple songs when he did that Generation Sex uh, project where it was mm-hmm. Steve Sex Jones, yeah. Tony James, and, and Billy. And uh, I can't remember who was drumming, but they did a bunch of pistols and a bunch of Generation X songs. They did it at the Roxy in Hollywood and just popped in for that, which was fantastic. Uh, but yeah, Billy, Billy's been there since the start. What do you what do you think about you looking forward to that Sex Pistols documentary? You know, there's that miniseries coming out that that Lydon's uh, fighting like hell. Uh, I don't care. <laughs> I, want to see it. I, I mean. I think it's great because it'll get more people. It's like the Motley Crue movie for Netflix or whatever it was or Hulu or whatever, where it's just something more that'll turn more people onto those types of, you know, some 16 year old kid will be like, whoa, you know, which is great. But, uh, you know, if it was an actual documentary with the actual players, I'm I'm more interested in stuff like that than I am, uh, you know, Pam and Tommy in a Sex Pistols dramedy, 
you know, I'll, I'll probably catch it, catch, catch it eventually, but I really don't do a lot of TV. It's I'm really, uh, you know, partly blame the dogs, my own schedule and Patreon as to why I don't have enough time to sit down, uh, and, and, and watch anything ever. I probably get about three hours of TV in a week. So seldom. Yeah. What well, so, uh, go back to your home turf. California, sure. like I said, to- you, we were talking about that total different sound. They're all different. Yeah. Uh, you name some of them or some of the bands like the, when you think California, you know, my, oh. my, my favorite band is my favorite band is social distortion. David knows that's, this. Um, that's, that's a good answer. I'm, I'm really, uh, I love them. I know that they, at least when you think about California punk, that they're the early sound is there, you know, like another state of mind, like uh, all that stuff, but it's uh, they're different now. And I yeah. still love them. They're they're uh, a grown up band. Yeah, and I mean they're one of the few bands I think's really completely progressed, but in a good way. And um, I love all the records, but yeah, they matured and they didn't lose me. And yeah, I, not all well, not all bands can do that. Agreed. You know, and some bands try to just sort of uh, keep cranking out the same thing, and sometimes it works, and sometimes it it seems a little contrived, and it shows. But um, I mean, I own every social distortion record and um and i probably have since 1995 uh as they've come out and uh god i don't want to go on a love affair about social d but you're right they've matured and they've gone from being a socal staple punk rock band to being uh sort of the tom petty and the heartbreakers of punk rock you know mike is a is a singer songwriter out, you know, he's no longer shooting dope in 84, you know, in somebody's bathroom. He's a mature adult musician songwriter. And so what we get is you get those last four or five records. Uh, I always uh, uh, go back to uh, White Light, White Heat, White Trash, uh, because for some reason it's not, it doesn't seem to be common knowledge, but the guy who drums on that record is pardon all the name dropping here, but is Dean Castronovo, who's currently with Journey. And Dean is a friend of mine. And uh, I still can't believe that, you know, at the end of the day, I'm still always like, man, I'm friends with that guy on that record that changed my life as a young man. Same, I could say the same thing for Doyle and a couple other people. But, um, you know, and he's like, hey, Journey's in town. You want to come to the show? And got me these killer tickets. And I'm like, this is awesome you know, name drop, name drop, but, uh, I'm a fan, you know, and it's cool to see guys like that do other stuff, but that record, um, and the album after it, what is it? Sex, love and rock and roll. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. That, those two records, I think, I think are my two favorite SD records. My favorite, but, Somewhere between heaven and hell. Yeah. That'd probably be my third. I think my only complaint about somewhere is the production. I think is lacking, but that's, that's just me. Uh, I don't want to do, I could do an hour on social D. Uh, SoCal Punk Rock, uh, X, TSOL, DI, the Dickies, uh, the Germs, the Weirdos, the Skulls, Agent Orange, Adolescence, Circle Jerks, Black Flag. Uh, I mean, God, you can keep going. You go north, go uh, the Screamers, Dead Kennedys, Bad Religion. You cannot forget Bad Religion. Uh, we, I guess you could say no effects. I mean, they've been around for 40 fucking years now um it just it just goes on and on it's like this this uh 
what is that called? This unending well of bands. I feel like California alone has given us more punk rock than the rest of the world combined, which isn't true. I just feel that way. It, Green Day, Rancid, all the, you know, all the 90s bands, 2000s bands, Sugar Cults, Bad Astronomy, you could go into that whole side of things. Um, there's just so many bands, 45 Grave. Um, I love that kind of music. And uh, if anyone was hoping I would talk more about LA Guns, I'm sorry because this is where I start talking about only punk rock. Uh, I mean, I was listening to that first adolescence record today. That first adolescence record is why you have Bad Religion, why you have any band that uses, if you play guitar, an octave on a guitar riff ever is because of that adolescence album. And I love the uh, uh, incestuousness of all these bands. I love the fact that Rick Agnew started Social D with Mike Ness and is then the guy behind the adolescence and then later on ended up in started Christian Death, but then also ended up in 45 Grave and all these other bands. You get these guys like Derek O'Brien, who was in all those bands. I did a record with Derek O'Brien when I was in a band called The Generators a lifetime ago. Uh, we, he and I toured together supporting The Damned in, in England, which goosebumps again. I can't tell you how cool that was, you know, uh, in 08 or 09. And so to me, all that stuff is, you know, I don't give a shit about my career or whatever, air quote career. What I care about is, is music and, and stuff. And because it, it, it transcends all of that. And what I always go back to is punk rock. I just go back to the same stuff I was listening to, like probably a lot of us when I was 15 or 17 or 22 or 14, you know, and that's cause that's, I forgot who told me this. It might've been Carrie Martinez from shattered faith speaking. SoCal or the U S bombs more importantly, Carrie, who I consider, uh, uh, my, you know, it's probably about seven or eight people I say are like a big brother to me. And one of them is Carrie Martinez. It might've been Carrie. And he says, the music you started listening to when you first started fucking is the music you will listen to for the rest of your life. And I think that there's a lot of truth to that. Sorry to swear so much, but, uh, and, and in my instance, you know, as a young man, teenager, that's, that's how it is. And not that they're synonymous, but it, it seems to be the music you got into as you're maturing and growing up and finding yourself is what you carry on through life. And I'm glad that it's Black Flags Damaged and, uh, you know, Germs GI and Misfits Walk Among Us and Negative Approach Tied Down and like whatever else. Because it's, to me, it's cooler than, you know, what do we got now? Uh, people that were like, oh, I grew up listening to Backstreet Boys or I grew up, grew up listening to like Coldplay. It's like, well, that's that's music. That's cool. But it's not as it's got no teeth, you know, you know, David and I talk about this and, and he, he can back me up on this. Well, I know we're we all sound like the old guys now. And probably every generation has said this, but yeah, music seems shittier than ever right now as far as mainstream music and what's popular, what people are listening to. Because you mentioned stuff like Backstreet Boys. And man, it seems like it's gone downhill ever since then, like popular radio. I don't know anybody listens to it. Uh, I think it is an amalgamation of things because starting in the late 90s, early 2000s, it got to the point where people could make a record for pennies. And so we started getting, you know, or now in my instance, you can make a record on your iPhone. So it became easier to do less talent was required uh sorry if i offend anybody 
and you started getting more manufactured stuff. You know, um, I can't like who is the David Bowie of the last 20 years? I don't know. I'm sure there's you, know, you say like Jack White or uh, 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 Post Malone or somebody like that. And you could argue it to a degree. But ultimately, there is no uh, uh, Bowie's or uh, Janis Joplin's or Don Henley's anymore. Um, and mainstream radio, I don't even know what that consists of. People are like, oh, did you hear about, uh, you know, I don't know. I'm so out of touch with this stuff because I don't, it doesn't apply to me. I don't care. You know, someone will talk about some huge arena band. And half the time, I don't even know. I actually just went to see Shinedown, uh, what, a week ago. And I was like, oh, I'm not familiar with their music. And of course, when I was watching the show, I was like, oh, I like, I know this song. I like this song, but I, I'm, I'm out of touch. And they're not even a new band anymore at this point. So anything, you know, after 2005, 2010, I don't know. You know, people, I couldn't, I couldn't name a Greta Van Fleet song. Uh, and I think they're a great band. But I couldn't name a song. I, you know, I just, it, I'm, you know, like I said, I'd rather listen to group Sex on the Circle Jerks or, or, or tell you why Dance With Me from TSOL is the pinnacle of SoCal punk in, in the 80s. You know, I, I, I'm out of touch. I'm the old guy now. You know, it's as we get older, you start, I'm like faced with my mortality. Like, I'm going to be fucking 40 this year. I'm no longer the young guy in the, all the bands. Now I'm getting to welcome be to the club. average yeah. age guy. <laughs> yeah, welcome to the club. Dave and I got a few years on you. Well, it's all right. It's just a yeah. number, you know. Yeah, you know, and you were talking about all these different bands, too. I feel like uh, Bad Religion, are they not to a certain point? Or you, you mentioned Social Distortion, Tom Petty. Are they not to a certain point? Like, the, do we not start looking at them at some point, like the Stones right now? Yeah, I mean, uh -huh. kind of. I mean, obviously, they're a little more uh, boxed in than that. But, uh, I mean, I'm a – and I say this – with the caveat of knowing pretty much half the guys in the, the current lineup or what three fifths of the guys, but uh, I'm a huge fan. And I think if you're looking for in-depth and educated lyrics in punk rock, you won't find a greater band. Obviously the singer Greg, Greg Graffin is a professor. So he's Dr. Greg Graffin, if you will, but um, they're kind of them and social D are kind of like our, uh, you know, the staples from that era of Southern California punk that has sort of transcended being, you know, some tiny club band with the angry guy and the rotating lineup. And it's just the drummer or just the singer or whatever. It's, it's, it's a band and you've got, you know, uh, Mr. Brett, who's still sort of a sideline band member because he's busy running epitaph and, you know, with his own stuff, which is amazing, you know, but, uh, and has given us so much music just from that label. Um, and both social and bad religion, they're still just so great. Yeah, yeah and they're great. I saw uh, uh, Ricky, I mentioned Ricky Rackman, and, and uh, Ricky is, uh, you know, I, I, sorry for the name droppy stuff, but Ricky is probably my closest friend in the, in the world. Uh, I don't think 48, uh, two or three days don't go by where he doesn't call me, and uh, today included. And, uh, you know, to get a bucket for the names I'm dropping, but Ricky and Jay Bentley, the original bass player still in Bad Religion, went to like middle school together in, in, in the L.A. area. And so Ricky and I went to see I flew out to Charlotte where Ricky lives and we went saw Bad Religion the end of last year. 
And I would say on a scale from one to 10, I would give the show a, a 10 and a half. You know, it was just an awesome show. And these are guys that like, you know, are in their 50s or 60s. So um, I think that speaks volumes and the songwriting and, and what what whatnot. And again, like the social D thing, I don't want to go too far off the, the rails because I'm a lifelong fan and I huge bad religion fan, huge social D fan. So it's great that yeah, we went around. I went to see uh, so I went to see um that tour, the uh bad religion tour. I saw that one. I went to buddy and I, we went all the way out to Atlanta to see that. You know, it's about a six hour hour hike but we went to see that because them and alkaline trio is like oh yeah. man this, this is right on man this is cool yeah it was a great double bill so we'll, well i'll move along through this i know you got other things to do but just um so you played in Warzone, but you said you what are, what are some of the the uh, hard oh no i wasn't in Warzone. and i'm sorry not Warzone, murphy's law i'm sorry yeah, no t- I, yeah, I, looked t- at my, I looked at my list and i just saw was in murphy's law. was in Warzone and murphy's law yeah yeah so um what are some of the bands there that that, that like mine, I, I do go to the Godfathers. I I, I just love Agnostic Front. Uh, I love AF. I I mean, I'm not the biggest New York hardcore guy, but I mean, I'm a I love Sick of It All. Uh, I like I love Sick of It All. Um, I don't consider Life of Agony a New York hardcore band, but there's definitely they sort of you know flirt a little bit. Uh, I love Life of Agony. Um, I love. Uh, I don't remember the last time I listened to him, but I, I'm a fan of Madball. Um, I mean, the Warzone was great. Um, who else can I think of? Um, I, unfortunately, I'm just drawing a blank right now. Um, but Crumb Suckers, Leeway. Yeah, Crumb Suckers were great. You know who else is great was Dog Eat Dog. Uh, Sean, the guitar player, just passed away not too long ago. Sean was a really cool guy. Uh, oh, God, uh, Cro-Mags. Yeah, Harley Flanagan. Yeah, John Joseph. Um, if you ever get a chance, if you haven't done this, you want to see a good podcast. Yeah, he did one with uh, Jocko. Oh, really? It's about, it's about two and a half, three hours long. It is amazing. I'll have, I'll have to check. And I've got out. to read his book after that because he says I, I barely even t- they barely even touched on the book. And you talk about a a crazy life. I mean it. It's insane. Yeah, life that that guy that guy lived. I, that's what I hear, man. You know, it's hard to not respect guys like that when they it just they become legend status. At least in my book, you know. So you big into uh, oi punk? Uh, yes, but no. Um, I mean, look, I love Cox Bar, uh, the business, uh, Sham sixty nine. I'm just I'm going through the gamut here. Um, but a lot as time went on, I just found a lot of it was a little too meatheaded for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but it de- it just it it depends on the band. It's definitely not my favorite subgenre, but um, it, it's band by band. Yeah, I, I love Cox Bar too. I mean, they're they're probably they are my favorite there. But I think of bands like I think of bands like Blitz too. Uh, oh God, well yeah, I guess you're right. I was just listening to Blitz two or three days ago. Yeah, I love Blitz. I forget that they're kind of a skinhead band. The Last uh, Resort. What's that? The Last Resort. Well, yeah, I never really got too far into them. I like Last Resort. Um, I and I I like Four Skins, uh, which sounds funny to say. Uh, <laughs> it just it, it's more like a lot of those bands had not to sort of sound rude, but they had two or three or four songs that were really good, and then the rest of it I was like, eh. Um, 
and then a lot of it, you know, Gary Bushel with the, what was it, sounds and the OI compilations and stuff like that uh, pushed a lot of those bands. But some of them, like even the Toy Dolls, like so many of my friends growing up were like, oh, they're an OI band. I was like, not really. There's nobody in the band is a skinhead and they're singing about Nelly the Elephant and Spiders and Saw the Neighbors, you know, it was like too silly, uh, like punk pastiche or whatever it's called. Um, so there's like a crossover where it's like, is it really an oi band or is it just sort of in that like Peter and the test two babies to me, that's not an oi band, but I fucking love that band, you know? Um, and, uh, just like I said, it's band to band Cox bar being my favorite. Well, and I think of them as they're like the defect, the finding sound of it, just like a, you'll say AF is with New York city hardcore. Yeah. And they really, well, Cox bar definitely set the precedent for that whole thing. Well, as we as we start to wind down, um, yeah. just some of the miscellaneous bands I put on here that are in the newer era. Just your, your take on bands like one of, one that I got David onto, and this is one where he can he can jump in on because this is not so much. It's like, well, you you probably figure out where I'm going to go with this. Springsteen, punk, Gaslight Anthem. Oh, I love Gaslight Anthem. We were actually label mates for a minute uh, on Side One Dummy, um, Brian singer uh brian and i have become acquainted via social media and uh he was kind enough to put me on the guest list at his show recently here in town and it was just him solo but uh they were fantastic and sort of like the bruce springsteen of punk rock and although i would kind of give that to mike ness but whatever um uh they were great i never saw gaslight anthem but now that they're back together i hope to see them uh, but yeah, great band. I saw them in 15. I saw them at Webster Hall in New York City. Yeah. And this was probably a month or two before they announced they were taking this hiatus. And I was so lucky. And when they, when they kicked off, they opened with the 59 sound. And man, this place, it was oversold, put it that way. And okay. that was one of the better, let's call it theater shows I've ever been to in my life. And then I saw them... Uh, David actually had tickets to go, but he a ticket to go, but he ended up couldn't make he couldn't make it. But when they got back together and did the uh, 59 Sound reunion, the 10 year anniversary, yeah, that was a hard ticket to come by. And three of us were on at the same time. David was one of them trying to get tickets, and we uh, we got the Chicago show. Wow! So I am hoping to catch I'm, this uh, this new one. I'm envious of that because that's sort of the for me at least that's like the record I know. Uh, and the guy that produced that, Ted Hutt. Uh, just a few years prior to that had produced a record called under suspicion that I did with a band called madcap when I was 20 years ago, it was 19 or 20. So we shared a producer not too far apart from that point as that record as well. Yeah. I guess now I'm getting older. Those are a lot of the bands I listen to like gaslight anthem, um, hold steady. Yeah. I like hold steady. I, I, I love Dave Hawes stuff now. I don't know if you ever listen to him. Yeah. I, I, I know. I, I feel like I, was turned on to him from the guys in the bouncing souls. Yeah. Well, he's buddies with them, I believe. And he, you know, he comes from the, the band called the loved ones. Yeah. I remember the loved ones. He's, yeah. Like, but uh, those bands, uh, of course, a little bit older, but jawbreaker uh, against me. And yeah. I still consider him a little bit punk rock, but Lucero our hometown band. I like Lucero and I love again. I never really got into jawbreaker and I've tried repeatedly over the last 20 plus years, but just didn't really stick with me. Well, I think what's against me, I think the reinventing of Axl Rose is one of the better modern punk records there. Is. Yeah, it, it's great. And then 
uh, I don't know if it's the record after that. I think it's two records after that, but it's it's the black and white cover. It's got Florida or Miami on it. Uh, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, that album. Oh, I, I toured with them on that record. I was out on Warp Tour at the same time they were promoting that record. Um, and uh, and uh, Laura Jane, who at the time was um, Tom, uh, I, I think, is that his name? I think that is. I can't Sorry. remember. The, I think that is. Yeah, I'm trying to, to be uh, politically correct here. Um, uh, I didn't really get to know them um, so much, but we were part of a few group conversations. I was uh, on. The, I was sharing a bus with the Bouncing Souls. They're friends of mine. I actually lived with Greg, the singer, for about three years. Uh, and if you're a fan, their album, The Gold Record, yeah, uh, I sing on that, and if you have it on C on CD, it comes with a bonus documentary that I'm in. Sort of uh, the backup singers on that record was me, Chuck Reagan from Hot Water Music, uh, Brett Gurowitz from Bad Religion, and uh, Johnny Madcap, my singer from Madcap. But off, I'll stop on that tangent. But uh, I was playing guitar for Greg from the Soul's wife's band. Her name is Shanti. And so we were sharing a bus. It was Shanti and her band and the Bouncing Souls. And so Laura Jane would come on the bus uh, and so would Joan Jett. And so would all these, other, you know, Fat Mike and whoever. And so uh, and this was, I don't know, maybe 05, 04. Uh, and so these people were constantly around. And that was how I got sort of turned on to Against Me. And I'm still a fan. I think they're great. I think she's really done so much for i have some friends that are trans as well and so um done so much for that community and uh you know sort of stood her ground and i just respect that and what what and speaking of life of agony as well uh, it doesn't get more punk rock than going you know this is what i am and fuck you if you don't like it so do you see that documentary do you see the life of agony documentary that they put out no i'd love to called the sound of scars i can't remember what they released it on you, you can get it now you'll have to look it up i can't remember what they 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 partnered with somebody to release it because at first it was a rental yeah get off their uh their website they let it i think they had it for about two weeks and it is one of the it's not just because i love the band it's one of the best documentaries i've ever seen okay it is it is so good and it, it's it gets in all to all of that um of course we talked to joey z and he talks about it and the losing fans and yeah it, it's fuck them is what I say. You know what I mean? They're a great band. I don't give a fuck what you want to call yourself. Uh, well, you know, it's like we, it's like we talked about, you know, obviously it's Joey's cousin. They're like, yeah. oh, you know, what's, what's the alternative, man? You, you rather the person kill himself? Yeah. I mean, cause that's what happened. I mean, that was the case. And they talk about it with Mina suicidal. Yeah. I, 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 I get that. I get that. And, and I, I have so much respect for Mina and uh alan alan the bass player i don't i wouldn't say he's a friend but we've played we've been on stage together a couple times and we're acquainted and just the nicest people man and what a killer heavy like crossover band i don't know what to call them i don't know what genre, that's why i was like i guess they're not new york hardcore but they're like it's melodic hardcore that first record anyway melodic yeah hardcore. it's to me it's like hardcore adjacent you know um so speaking of Alan, did you hear, uh, did you, did you ever get that record that spoiler NYC? Oh yeah. 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 It, what his, his version of social distortion. Oh yeah. my God. It's great though. It's great. And it, and he's, uh, he's putting it back together now. 
That's great. I'm glad to hear that. I saw, he, that, was, I saw that on Instagram. He's putting it back together. And I, just recently, they were working on a video for a new song. That's killer. I'm so glad to hear that because I got turned on to that probably, I don't know, a few years ago. And I was like, this is awesome. I didn't know he was into that, but yeah, great sense. record. Well, the last one I'll talk about, and I'll turn it sure. back over to uh, David. But uh, yeah, sorry, David. Yeah. <laughs> no, you're fine. You're fine. Clobbering <laughs> you with rants about punk rock. But you know, the um, you, you mentioned you mentioned Chuck Reagan and you mentioned Brian yeah. Fallon, and this is something we we actually talked to Dave Hawes about, and uh, and I, I love this answer by the way when I when we asked him about this because I, I refer to it now as as punker turned folky, and that's um, totally a thing. And he said that, uh, I said, why do you think so many of them go into that? Because there's Fallon, there's Reagan, there's Tim Barry of Avail. Um, shit, uh, Frank Turner. Um, we, we mentioned Greg Graffin. I mean, his, that, that Millport record was phenomenal. Oh, God. What that a, like a gospel album. record. Yeah, that, I mean, so many people are, have got, gone that sort of direction. I, I asked him, I said, why are so many people, why do you think so many people are doing that? And he just got real serious. He said, the songs. Yeah. And they said it just allowed, I guess that it, the songs, the lyrics, everything that they do, it, that that's what brings out that sound. Yeah. Well, I mean, prime example, it's not the same, but close on the turntable behind me is uh, the newest record from Jesse Dayton. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with him, but he's a country artist, but he's also uh, been the fill in guitar player in X uh, he was the guitar player that Glenn Danzig handpicked for his uh, Danzig Sings Elvis sets. Um, and he's got all these ties to, he's punk adjacent. And his record that I just got, I think is called Bow Monster. I'm probably pronouncing it wrong, but, um, and he covers Social Distortion and X. And it's interesting to hear those songs with just a voice and an acoustic and maybe some brushes, you know? So, uh, you get these artists or so in this instance songs that lend themselves to that, or maybe like in Mike Ness's case where, you know, you see an interview with him now and he's like, man, in the mid seventies, I was listening to Hank Williams. There was no punk rock, you know? And so they revert to that. And um, if the songs are good enough, you can take them out of that angry punk rock thing. And I mean, hell you could probably acoustify a black flag song or a misfit song. If you, you know, had the rights, at least someone who could, you know, do it justice. Well, listen, listen to Evan Dando do uh, skulls. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, Lemonheads. Yeah. 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 You God. heard that? I, I have, and but that was me. I had to, my, my, my computer was like processing, processing. It's an amazing cover. But yeah. yeah I, just, I love, love, love Chuck Reagan. And yeah. yeah I, same. I, I, I love the hot water music stuff and all, but when I really fell in love with him was when I saw I saw him open up for Social D at the Ryman, and um, wow, it was just him and a God, he had I think two guys on stage with him. He plays; he's, they've been on just about every record with him. I can't think of their names, but uh, just stand up and fiddle, and him with the acoustic, and it was just man, that was a show. Oh, uh, and before one last thing before turning to you, David, I got to say. <laughs> One of the best punk records the last two years. He's got to get your opinion. That last turnstile record. Oh, yeah. 
the pink with the clouds. Yes. yes. Oh man. If anyone's watching this or listening to this and you have an extra copy on vinyl, can you hit me up? You cannot fucking find that. My buddy has been looking for months. I turned him onto that. He's trying like crazy. They like every outlet and I'm, I'm a vinyl collector. I'm just coming up on a thousand records. And, uh, and I, within six hours or something absurd, every outlet I could find that record was sold out. And I was more upset because I wanted to buy it for Rackman for whatever Christmas birthday, whatever the fuck it was. Cause he's the one that turned me on them. He'd been hyping me up on turnstile for like two years. He's like, you got to listen to this band. You got to listen to this band. He's like, they're like minor threat if they came out now. And I was like, all right, yeah, I'll check it out. And I heard maybe two songs and I liked it. And just like everything in my life, it went in one ear and out the other. And then all of a sudden they started dropping all these singles. And I was like, this is for me. I'm into this. And of course they ended up being on what is this new record and the titles escaping me with the pink. Yeah, I can't think of it either, but that is probably, I, I really think such a great two years. It's probably such a great record, record. Such a great record. Well, one last thing you guys sure. are, LA Guns and Faster Pussycat are about to go out on tour. When does that yeah. start? Uh, I think our first show is the 1st of June, so it is coming up. And then lastly, um, obviously, you're really involved on social media. Uh, we can follow you on Twitter, Instagram, yeah. and then we got the Patreon. Uh, everybody I know that's done the Patreon with Ace has been very pleased. So uh, go you. to patreon.com forward slash Ace Von Johnson. Yeah. Yeah, and, that's uh, the- so I don't care if you buy my stuff. I care if you buy my dog stuff that goes to an organization. <laughs> That's my point. And give to your local shelters. And give to your local shelters. Absolutely. And if you, anyone's wondering how to find one, uh, just Google your town and animal rescue, animal shelter, specific breeds, uh, whatever you're looking for. I always tell people, you know, if you're looking for a borzoi, a borzoi or a, you know, so, an Afghan or something weird, I promise you somewhere in a shelter there's one that is probably not going to leave, you know, and unless you pull it. So, uh, you know, I hate to be contrived, but adopt, don't shop because there's no need to be buying a pet when thousands of dogs are leaving in trash bags every week, you know? So Uh, we're right there with you, man. I mean, that's sad as hell when you say it like that, but it's true. Well, we want to thank you for giving us, giving you, giving us so much time. We, we, uh, we didn't, you know, taking almost two hours of your time, but it's very gracious of you. I I don't mind at all. I'm happy to talk about stuff, especially animal rescue, pit bulls and punk rock. I'm sorry for keeping you guys for so long. A, and if anybody, I always say this, if anyone made it to the end of this, then good on them because I'm impressed. (laughs) Well, we want to, uh, thank Ace again for coming on, follow him on social media, join his Patreon. I don't think you're going to be disappointed. And Chris and I will be back with you sooner rather than later.